Gibbs, founder of Incandescent Public Relations, publisher of Being Incandescent Business Magazine, and you are host for the Incandescent Entrepreneur Show on the Incandescent Radio Network, the voice of entrepreneurs. We are honored to be here today with Clarice Smith, an internationally renowned artist who is described by critics as an enigmatic artist. Her Artwork includes portraits, florals, landscapes, still lifes, still lifes, and horses painted with a convincing reality. She's had numerous solo exhibits in the U.S. and international galleries. And for the last two decades, she has worked with her son, David Bruce Smith, to create a series of books, including Afternoon Tea with Mom, Three Miles from Providence, A Tale of Abraham Lincoln and the Soldier's Home, and Tennessee, a limited edition, four-color letterpress, three-volume collection that contains the first publication of Tennessee Williams' recently discovered play, These Are the Stairs You Gotta Watch. Most recently, they wrote American Hero, John Marshall, Chief Justice and the United States, which I believe is their first children's book. So we're here today to talk about Clarice's artwork, their books together, and in February, this is our power couples issue, so how this mother and son team work together without any friction, or maybe there is some, so we'll find that out today. So let's start first, Clarice, by talking about your artwork. What inspired you to become an art artist, and when did you first get started in the field? I've always aspired to be an artist. That was my main interest, and uh, I've always drawn in the first grade, if somebody needed a picture of the Easter Bunny, I would do that. So I was always involved in drawing or something of the sort. Um, as the children, when the children were growing up, I went to the corporate art school. Well, let me backtrack. Um, after high school, I when I graduated high school, I went on to Maryland University, took art courses. Then I got married, had a baby, so I only had two years of college. Um, I always knew I wanted to go back, and during the interim, when they were growing up, I went to the Corcoran School of Art, and I was complaining about the lack of formal instruction. If I wanted to spray spaghetti, I thought I could do that at home. So there was a young student in there that went to uh, GW. It's part of GW's art department because they they would send some of their students to the Corcoran because they, it was just a small department. And she was telling me about the wonderful instruction of a course called Methods and Materials, and it sounded like exactly what I would want. So I was talking about this to Cy Alpert, who was involved in George Washington University, and he said, Clarice, you always said you wanted to go back to college. So now's the time. So he introduced me to the head of the art department at that time. And I found out, or I realized, that this was my instructor at Maryland University when I was taking an art history course. So that was quite interesting. Um, Maryland uh, accepted a lot of my credits from the Corcoran. Uh, they accept, I'm sorry, GW accepted. Uh, they accepted all my credits from Maryland. So I didn't have to take science and math and all that stuff. I could take the courses I loved, which was studio art and art history and literature. And I graduated, and then I went on for my master's degree. 
and then I taught portrait painting and watercolor. And um, I've been painting ever since. So tell us a little bit about where you have shown your work, who you've sold it to, who may have your work in their collections, and what your favorite piece is, if you can pick one out. It's hard to have a favorite piece. I mean, there are certain horse pictures that I, well, first of all, if I don't like it, I'm not going to put it out for the public. So uh, certain things mean a little more to me because of the memories it evokes. My paintings, I've had shows in, in Paris and Israel and Maastricht, London, uh, Zurich, and paintings have been, they've been sold. So people have my things from all over the world. Um, somebody at the National Gallery, I, I was there a couple months ago, and they were visiting someone in Zurich who has a, an old master collection. And he knew, he, he mentioned to the curator that he has one of my paintings because he knew that the curator would know me from Washington, D.C. And he said it's his favorite painting. So that's nice to hear. I mean, this was a collector of classical old master paintings, and he liked mine. Do you know which one it was? Yeah, it was a... a um, a scene, a patio scene from Italy. It was at a uh, very, oh, it was a wonderful race course in Italy. And they had the balcony was with this wonderful turn of the century furniture. And it was just, I put, I had no people on there. I just had the furniture. And I had, uh, the, the way I did it with the sun and everything was very pretty. Beautiful. So what inspires you to create your work? Um, it's my life. What I see, what I'm exposed to. I love doing it. That's what I want to do. And I don't paint sad pictures because why make myself miserable while I'm <laughs> <laughs> now, I did do one. I did do the Cemetery of Prague. And that actually is not sad looking. There's something rather, I guess you could say, romantic about the way it is with the rooms and hmm, like an honoring of yeah. people who are here. Right. Oh, it's beautiful. So, how did you and David start to work together? And it was about it was more than twenty years ago, right? It was uh, twenty-five years ago. <laughs> the first collaboration was a. My mother was not aware that it was a collaboration, actually. Um, I was putting together what I told her to be an uh, album of my 33 of her, of her paintings that I liked the best, um, and I needed commentary for each painting. So I, I went through each painting and I would ask, you know, how, you, how did you feel when you were painting X, how did you feel when you were painting Y? And then when she saw it again, it was a book. It, it, it was a real surprise. It was for my birthday. And that really started, I think, my popularity here in the Washington area. Because every mother 
is so jealous of me <laughs> that their child didn't think about doing this for them. <laughs> and that was afternoon tea with mom. Yes. That was, right. So that was in, let's see, 1988. Excellent. And then what came next? Uh, the next thing was Continuum, which was the first artist book for the National Museum of Women in the Arts. And that was, uh, my mother had done a series of Venetian paintings that I, um, I did the text to accompany them. And that was, um, and then she did a, a, a lithograph, an original lithograph. So the, the book could be sold at a higher price. Can you tell about the binding? The binding was marbleized leather. Wow. Leather had not been marbleized in about a thousand years. And, and I, I wanted that because I wanted <clears throat> I wanted a sensuous feeling cover. And there's a lot of um, water and reflection in the Venetian pictures. And I wanted that to sort of carry over to the cover. So they the, did a fabulous job. The design is watery looking. And each was marbleized separately. Well, so... Are they still for sale? Or is mm -hmm. there, and yeah. where, where do your books sell? The National Museum of Women and Arts. And you did a, something for the Shakespeare Theater, is that right? The Shakespeare Theater was the Tennessee Williams book. Okay. They were doing a revival with the Kennedy Center of Tennessee Williams. They were putting on something called 5 by 10, T-E-N-N. -N. So in conjunction with that, we did a the, the book, Tennessee, it was... Three of his plays, uh, Head on a Hot Tin Roof, uh, The Glass Menagerie, and These Are the Stairs You Gotta Watch, which was a never-before never uh, uh, published play. But Michael Kahn, who was the artistic director, is the artistic director, was a friend of Tennessee Williams, and he had the play. He gave it to us. And then with those plays, there were three um, uh, graphite and watercolor drawings, and then which were bound, and then there were three others that weren't bound: Streetcar Named Desire, Summer in Smoke, and Night of the Iguana. Oh, excellent! And are, is that with a limited edition collection, or that's still available? Lim limited edition, still available. Excellent. So, what's it like to work together? Is there any friction between you? Do you have old stuff come up, or is it just smooth? No, it's um, chemistry, good chemistry. Except this last book. On, <laughs> no, no, no problem. John Marshall. The book was supposed to be for what, eight year olds, David? Right. Okay. So, David wrote a beautiful text. And I did illustrations, and I must have done, I don't know, 25, 30 illustrations. I mean, it was enough already. I was spending so much time doing these drawings. So then we take it to the John Marshall people and the publisher, and they decided they wanted this book for one for first graders. Well, that's a different kind of writing. And they had an expert educator there. There is a formula, there are rules that you have to abide by when you're writing for young, young children like that. So David had to simplify everything, and that meant that there were less sentences on a page.
that meant that there were like 20 more drawings to do. <laughs> that was funny. That, that, I was getting annoyed with that. And uh, then John Marshall comes from a family of 15 children. Isn't that right? Right. So I had done a drawing before they went over all of this of 15 babies in a row and doing things. It was very cute. And they said, Clarice, we can't use this. I said, why? It's adorable. They said, well, all 15 children weren't the same. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> and then they said, also, young children are going to want to know how many boys, how many girls, what are the ages. So therefore, I had to find out all the ages, all the sexes, and redo it. Then they wanted a picture of the cabin that John Marshall moved into, his father moved the family after a while. And it was just a four-room cabin. So I drew the cabin, fine. And they wanted to have like a, a dollhouse cut view so you could see the rooms. I did that, but I didn't put any furniture in it because I didn't know what they had. Mm -hmm. They said, you have to put furniture in it. Why? Well, the children are going to want to know why there's no furniture. <laughs> so it was things like that, but it was fun. But this was funny because when we started it, when, I, when it was going to be for fourth graders, my, in my mind, there were 35 drawings. My mother wanted to do 10. So I said, now we can't do 10 because what I learned is when you write for children, you have, you have an idea, you have a picture, you have an idea, you have a picture. You can't make any assumptions. So we, we sort of negotiated somewhere in the middle, like 30. <laughs> but she probably ended up with, between the originals and then the ones that were pulled out and the ones that were put back in doing 50. And because this is the introduction to John Marshall, I wanted to use people. I didn't want to do little pigs or mice or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So there aren't any pictures of John Marshall as a child. I mean, they didn't have photographs then. Right. So it, it was quite a challenge to try and finesse that. Wow. And every, every picture of him looks different. Yeah, right. any of the portraits. So why John Marshall? Why did you come up with the idea or were you approached? John Marshall because... Um, it was a commission mm -hmm. and uh, by the John Marshall Foundation. They asked me if I would do a, a children's book on John Marshall, and I said, fine, but I'd never written for children before. That was fine. Uh, the only request was that I work with my mother, which was fine for them, especially since they knew her work. Mm -hmm. So that's how it came about. Mm -hmm. Hmm. And when will it be available for March first? March first. So it's on. It's on Amazon now as a pre-order. Okay. Excellent. So um, you actually own David Bruce Smith Productions, and you published a series, a, a bunch of books. Um, right. Tell us about your production company and what's on the horizon for the future. Uh, what's on the horizon, hopefully, is more children's books. But I don't know that for sure. It depends mostly on how this book does. Mm -hmm. um, but previous books are um, Three Miles from Providence, which is the which is the book about 
Lincoln. That, that, by the way, is so clever and fabulous because he starts out as a letter from one of the soldiers that's at the soldier's home that fought in the Civil War. And it's a made-up soldier. It's made up. But the, the facts and the people that come into this are real. Then uh, the soldier is writing to his son. And then, and he's using the language that was used, the grammar and so forth, that was used during Civil War times. Then the narrative is picked up. The son starts writing to his child mm -hmm. about his life and what his father did. And now you're getting uh, grammar that we're used to. Mm -hmm. And it ends with the granddaughter who is emailing. And it's, it's very clever. It's very clever. And it's bound. How would you explain the binding? It's like Pony Express. Uh, it's bound in leather. It's like a pouch. It's something that I wanted something that um, would look like, look masculine and something that a Civil War soldier would carry. And actually, they did carry these pouches with USA stamped on them. And, and and then it's there was great. there was a you know a string to keep it shut. Yeah. I didn't want to do a hard book that was boring to me. But um, the the Lincoln book was eight generations. So you know after the first three or so, you have to find a way to keep it interesting. And why are they still talking about? So I invented Lincoln used to carry a scarf. Uh, used to wear a scarf. So I. What I, I made it, I made up that he gave the scarf uh, to one of the generations and it's carried through, you know, as a metaphor mm -hmm. to keep everybody together. And then at the end, I had to really blow everybody up. Yeah, but, yeah, don't, don't give me anything. <laughs> Tell them to buy the books. Yeah. <laughs> where, where can we buy your books? Okay, well, that book is is on Amazon, and it's uh, if you go to my website, davidbrucesmith.com, it lists bookstores uh, that that carry it. Great. So for other couples, other mother and son teams, father and daughter, father and son teams that want to work together, what advice does each of you have for how to do it well? Well, for us. Uh, it was a series of fortunate events. It wasn't uh, planned. It, it was, I mean, it was just a series of opportunities that occurred. Mm -hmm. But it's also important to listen to what each other has to say and not be so closed in on your own ideas. Mm -hmm. Have you um, found that in, in any instance, when, when was that really important? With the drawings. With the drawings. X, Y, Z. Yes. X, Y, Z. Excellent. So do you have another topic in mind for a future book? Um, if the children's books happen, mm -hmm. it would be a series of American heroes. John Marshall's friends, I'm not calling it John Marshall's mm -hmm. friends, but they are the American hero heroes. That would be John Adams, Patrick Henry, John Hancock, um, James Monroe, who we went to school with, that whole cadre. 
mm-hmm. was his uh, gang. Mm-hmm. And he adored George Washington. I mean, he, he wrote a series. He wrote a, a he wrote biography. a five volume uh, biography of George Washington, which was commissioned by uh, Bushrod Washington, who was George Washington's nephew, and who was on the Supreme Court with John Marshall. Oh, that's fascinating. The history is, and John John Marshall also was the justice that's put into operation just wearing black robes. Mm. The justices always wore fancy robes, red and so forth, emulating what they did in London. Mm. Huh. And why did he think black was more appropriate? The, re- the red robes were itchy. <laughs> <laughs> I they didn't were know that. Yeah, <laughs> really? The red robes were itchy. And he also, when he became the Supreme the just, uh, Chief Justice, the Supreme Court was only meeting three days a year. It had no, even though it was one of the three branches of government, it had no cachet. But over time, and each judge had an opinion that was given to the public. Now they have um, the justices give their opinion as a block, and the dissenters, uh, if there is, gives a separate opinion. I forget what they call that, but um, it's. Uh, I forget what that's called, um, but he's the one who who unified the court. Hmm. Ah, so that's made true. it. I mean, made it a true democratic presence. Oh, and, and, and also uh, the power that it has. Because he separated the power of the president from the court. He, he mm-hmm. took it. Yeah. He took the power that he was entitled to. Because Thomas Jefferson, who was his cousin, and they hated each other, Thomas Jefferson thought that the Constitution should be scrapped every 19 years. And as Chief Justice, he said, no, it's not going to be that way. Fascinating. Well, I look forward to reading this book for sure. So Clarice is... You're not going to get all that information. I know. children. That's right. Well, (laughs) first... Year. <laughs> First, yeah. Can so we had to scrap all grade. that. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe you can do a sequel for adults <laughs> now that you know so much about that amazing man. So Clarice is our truly amazing woman this month. So tell us, for, as her son, and also for maybe a more objective point of view, what makes her truly amazing? What do you mean, as an artist? As an artist, as a woman. Um, as an as an artist. Um, well, I, I've told her many times, she is the Meryl Streep of artists. Mm-hmm. And the reason is, um, her each work is memorable, memorable, distinct, and seamlessly great. But if you look at one of her compositions, it can be a scene on a balcony or, you know, two women in a um, in a restaurant, or she did a painting called Ladies' Luncheon. These women, you know, just uh, standing around talking. You want to be in that place. Mm. So her work lure, lures you in to, where, to wherever it's happening. And there's nothing um, edgy in that. 
I mean, there's nothing repellent about it. Mm -hmm. So it's comforting, inviting. I think so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I that think is, so. That's lovely. And she sets the stage for that so that you want to join in. Right. Yeah, that is amazing. And then, Clarice, what is it about your son that you think is amazing? Oh, well, I'm overwhelmed after hearing what he says about me. <laughs> <laughs> David is a most honorable, smart, good-looking, fine citizen human being. And he's also very talented. He's um, very smart. And he has good taste. And he just, uh, he's, I'm very proud of the way he's leading his life. Well, and it's fun to work with him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wish you both only the best of luck. This is very exciting. And you're definitely a power couple. It's a, it's a nice twist on the theme of married couples. Um, and we really appreciate you taking the time to be here today. Thank, Thank you. you. We enjoyed it. So that's it for today's Incandescent Entrepreneur Show, where we always ask, what's your story? If you have a good one and would like to be interviewed on the Incandescent Entrepreneur Show, send me an email to hope at hopegibbs.com. Check back every Monday at noon for a new episode of the Incandescent Entrepreneur Show on the Incandescent Radio Network, www.incandescentradio.com. We look forward to talking to you next week. Here's to your incredible, indelible success.